Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Like I always say, great relationships begin within, and today I have a treat for you. Linda and Charlie Bloom are in the house. Oh, yeah, and they've got loads of fans. They've written a new book for us, and actually, they also believe that great relationships begin within. we got to do the work. we got to do it. It's an inside-out job, and they're here with us the entire hour to talk about happily ever after. Yeah, and 39 other myths about love this hour. But before we get too excited, let's do what we like to do together, which is practice, to deepen our practice. For some of us, it might be new. For some of us, it's like, oh, yeah, i got to reapply every day. But one of the things we like to do on this program is get present. not always easy to do. I have tried to find a shortcut, and for me, it's finding our breath. Just noticing where our breath is in our body. Maybe it's the sound of your breath. Maybe it's just bringing your awareness to your body. Noticing what happens to your nervous system when we turn our attention inwards. Maybe it gets you more excited. It doesn't matter. We don't need to do anything about it. We just want to be present so we can receive our beautiful guest's presence. And they've got lots of them for us today. So just noticing your breath, maybe even listening to the sound of yourself. You might notice your body begins to shift some or change. My shoulders generally fall away from my earlobes. (laughs) I don't know why they think they belong there. It's like a posture, a stress posture. And just breath helps us relax into this moment. The next thing we like to do, and everybody likes this, I know the Blooms like it lots, is uh, getting grateful, finding a portal of gratitude. That's the second part of our practice here. Who helped make it possible for you to do what you're doing right now? That's one of my inquiry portals. Maybe you could try that on. We've got a long list here at Marion Live. I'm sure your list is equally long, but it helps us shift our perspective, I notice, Uh, moving away from the cliché idea of gratitude to really finding a way to shift and notice how you might orient differently, how you might breathe differently when we feel gratitude. And look at it's not to say that it may not be easy to get grateful. Sometimes it feels like I'm not just grateful about anything. I'm underneath it, right? My relationship is falling apart. I feel like I'm in hell. Life is crashing around me. I get it. We get it. And it doesn't mean that we ought not try 
just a little bit to find even a smidge of gratitude, if that's possible. Um, my list starts at the global level, oneworldchildrensfund.org, if you're online. They are helping unite people everywhere to improve the lives of children affected by poverty. At the national level, um, the National Action Organization committed to changing the way our culture values each other. Uh, they make this program possible, and 100% of the proceeds goes to programming just like this. And at the local level, we're super grateful for the Open Secret Bookstore in San Rafael, California. Yeah, everybody loves that place. It's just, it's wonderful. And we love books. We love to smell books. We love to feel them, read them, change, shift, um, awaken, and discover, to transform. Linda and Charlie Bloomer with us today to extend my list of what I am grateful for. Two folks, by the way, since 1972, okay, just not just yesterday, it's been a while, they've been on this scenic route to relationship enlightenment, right, doing the thing, and they've got a great relationship to boot, and they're here again with another book for us to help us on our journey to relationship um, awakening, right, consciousness, um, being skilled, resourced to be able to deal with, in this case, happily ever after being the mother myth, I would say, myself, and 39 other myths about love. They're joining us this hour to talk about their new book, their work, and the practical ways that we can shift our perspective um, I'm going to tell you for the two or three people who don't know who they are, because you're out there, you might be new and uh, new to their work. Um, Linda Bloom is an LCSW and Charlie Bloom is an MSW. They're best-selling authors and the founders and co-directors of Bloomworks. They have lectured and taught seminars on relationships throughout the United States and the world, and they've been married, like I said, since 1972 doing this thing. And they're with us today to talk about their new book, um, that I just mentioned, um, addressing issues, couples with great relationships don't fight, there's a myth, right, or little things aren't worth getting upset over, oh please, it's not true. Uh, these are some of the common myths their book addresses, um, and these best-selling authors and relationship counselors are joining us today to help give us some compelling stories and valuable suggestions for replacing these myths with uh, reality <laughs> or you know I'm not trying to be pejorative but look at these things you know what is the definition of insanity they say doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result well yeah we're going to get to some of that this hour uh, but first let me introduce you to Linda and Charlie Bloom thanks for being with us today I'm delighted to be here thanks for inviting us heck yeah you guys are the pros we go to the top we go to the people <laughs> You don't get to just talk about stuff anymore. you got to do the thing if you're going to talk about the thing. And the two of you are just so beautiful that you embody this. I love that you actually use that word on your website. You embody these resources and skills and tools that you teach. And it's so important for us to have role models like yourselves who have been in the trenches repeatedly for years and continue to use these skills that are successful to help us shift our relationships, huh? Beautiful. So thank you for that, for your devotion. What inspired you to write this book, uh, The Myth, The Happily Ever After and 39 Other Myths About Love? Tell us about that. So when we were seeing couples 
and when we were teaching our workshops, many of which are about relationships, we kept finding that people have some misguided notions that really get in their way and trip them up. And although there may be a little seed of truth, you know, a little kernel of truth in there, that may be all it is. And the rest of it is just a limiting belief that people have just bought into. They may have learned it in their family. They may have picked it up from the media, from, you know, Hollywood movies. And that uh, they haven't stopped to really look more deeply to see, is this really true? Is this really working for me? So we, we saw so many of them. We couldn't include them all in the book because we didn't want it to be a big, heavy tone. But we started to collect them and see that there were some very common ones. And we wrote the book intending to shake people a little bit and say, don't take it for granted that these beliefs that you have are true. Look and look deeply into them to see if they serve you or they don't. Yeah. Gorgeous. So happily ever after being sort of the mother myth, <laughs> right? Charlie, tell us about that. What, what, is, what is it about that myth, and where do you think that we generated that from? Um, yeah, I love your term, the mother myth. I never really <laughs> used that term in reference to it, but, you know, we, we were speaking to um, another person last week, and they asked us, what, what do you think is the the most important myth, and that's you know that's the one that I came up with. I didn't come up with that term, but I love it because it really is the one that kind of holds all of the other ones. That that somehow there is some way with the right person with whom I can have this relationship of my dreams, and I just have to I just have to kind of find them, and that we will live happily ever after, which. You know, it suggests that um, there is a point at which we can um, afford to just go to sleep because we don't need to stay conscious, we don't need to stay present, we don't need to keep doing our own work. And, and by the way, I also want to thank you for that beautiful introduction, not so much to us, but the introduction to this talk of how, what a wonderful reminder it is but that's really where we have to start with what's happening here now with me and my experience in this moment to really be present. And I think that if, if we could all remember that, and I know personally that's so easy to forget, yeah. um, which is why I appreciated it so much when you began with that little check-in. Um, I know that when we when we can just remember that and come back to this yeah. moment, we're in a place where we're not hooked by any myths, yeah. because the myth is only something that's present when I'm lost in thought, when I'm checked into m my internal tapes and my programs and my beliefs and and all of that stuff that takes me away from the truth of what's happening now. And ultimately, that's really why we wanted to, to write the book, is to help people just to be more fully authentic, more fully present, more fully attuned to their own experience so that they can connect to each other, not from the beliefs of what I think is the way it is or the way it's supposed to be, but from the truth of this 
moment here now. Right, and you thank you for that. And you bring up a, another great point um, that it's like we don't have a choice point if we're not present. We're on automatic pilot, or exactly. we're, at, we're at the effect yeah. of the belief system, or the you know the reaction, or the you know affective response to it's like being a pinball pin, yeah. in, in a pinball machine, right? Um, right. And it's funny. It reminded me of the, when I started doing that little um, inquiry with breath. I used to have a panic disorder when I was a kid for a lot of years, and it used to be terrifying to bring attention to my breath. It would set off a panic attack, right? So I know there's people. I'm very sensitive to breath. Is my point. But the the reason that I started doing it is because I heard that there was an African culture, and I wish I remembered the name. But the way that they greet each other is. They ask, are you here? <laughs> and if the answer is no, they say, I will wait for you. Oh, wow. makes me, it makes me cry. Every, wow. Like, I get emotional every time I hear that. Can you imagine oh. th- this one thing, like you're just oh. saying, these, these, all of these myths that you collected, these simple, profound uh, truths that aren't just words, they aren't hyperbole, they aren't cliches, their language, logos, you know, they're archetypal even, and they shift our physiology. It gets us on track on all the levels, the mind, body, and the spirit, right? This is it's so profound. I mean, it's where I was thinking this when I was going through your book. By the way, if you're just joining us, yeah, the blooms are in the house. I mean, some of you already know that. The others are, like, jumping up and down. Linda and Charlie Bloom, yay, we get to be with them for an hour. They wrote a new book, yeah, Happily Ever After and 39 Other Myths About Love. So, yeah, we were talking about that big archetypal, the mother myth, right, the birther of the myth around relationship. And and this one you were saying, Charlie, this one um, is in a, a lot of storylines in the media, right? It's maybe the biggest one. Uh, and it sort of spawns a whole bunch of other myths that we're going to talk about this hour. But let's, before we go forward, I think you talk about this in your book in really great detail, the importance of understanding where and why we buy into myths and where we can, you know, have some agency around moving away from these automated belief systems to really unpacking some of this stuff so we don't get caught in these uh, the the I don't know the vortex of our persona and story and history and all that stuff. So let's talk a little bit about this. Why why we're so susceptible to believing these myths and how to avoid them when they come calling, right? There's a lot of temptation to take the short route. Do you know there's shortcuts, and you don't have to deliberate too much if you just buy into the party line. You know the script that's put in your hands, and particularly the one about happily ever after. We grew up in these stories, you know. I love Cinderella's story. That was my favorite story when I was a child. And if you have this data going in early when we're very impressionable and you don't stop to reconsider, then that's going to get you into a lot of trouble because inevitably in relationship you're going to hit some rough spots. And if you're not so happy in the relationship, if you experience some stress, you've got some uh, distress because of the differences and don't know exactly how to handle them, it's going to have this chain reaction of, oh, no, I didn't get the right one. 
you know, and we're a hopeless mismatch, and our relationship can't make it. And I know there's my soulmate out there that if I just find the right one, instead of really looking to self to become the partner of our dreams rather than looking for the partner of our dreams, because people want the shortcut. They, a lot of people don't want to see how much real deep work on ourselves we need to do to get the skills, communication skills, and the conflict management skills, and to grow the qualities of courage and patience and tolerance and forgiveness and all those wonderful qualities to be eligible for a great relationship. So the, the myths are tempting because we think we can bypass some of the work yeah. that we have to do on ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I would imagine, and, and you sort of talk about this in the book as well, that people often end up in your office and your workshops when they've, you know, sort of failed repeatedly to find those shortcuts, when they have bumped up against sometimes the phantom myths that they haven't been able to name that you're helping us name. And then when they figure it out, when we figure it out, we go, oh, right? We start to differentiate, right? We, we start to not be so identified with those unconscious stories we get some space and we kind of get to now move through our lives differently because we have names for these waves of feeling or reactions or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very uh, seductive, you know, the whole notion of just being able to adopt certain beliefs. And we don't, we don't even consciously think about doing that, but we, we kind of inherit them uh, from our families, yeah. from the culture. Um, from our peers, from the different institutions that we're involved in. And um, what we're looking to do in, in the book, what we really would want to have happen isn't just that people can begin to recognize these 40 myths and challenge them, but we really hope that out of becoming more conscious of the myth maker within each one of us, yeah. That, that we automatically are conditioned to do this. And, of course, our culture isn't unique. It may be unique in terms of the specific myths that it has, but all cultures have them, uh, and subcultures, too, within the culture. You know, families have their own myths. And um, just to begin to recognize, oh, okay, that's interesting that I, I noticed that I have that belief, I have that expectation, I have that idea that women tend to do that or that um, this group of people tends to be this way, or that when you have this experience that this is what you can expect afterwards. Mm -hmm. So just to begin to notice the process of making those assumptions and plugging in and stepping back just a little bit and asking the question, hmm, is that really true? Is that true in this particular case? Right. Is that actually something that I know to be true? Asking the question is very powerful because it opens up a whole world of other possibilities. So what would you say, yeah, that's really powerful. What would you say um, is the difference between a myth and the mythology, right? I feel like there's a hair breadth of distinction, but it feels like one might be static and the other one there's room. Do you know what I mean? Does, mm -hmm. that, make, does that make sense? For example, like the, the mythology of happily ever after 
is sort of archetypal, right? It's like asking you to say, hey, something's possible. It's supposed to be a symbol for something. But when we reduce it down and try to concretize it, is that when we get in trouble? I mean, I don't know. This might be a stretch, but I feel like something's here. Yeah, no, I think I think this is a really good point. I mean, we're talking about the distinction between specific beliefs within within a, a, a context of, of a culture yeah. and and the mythological nature of the culture itself. Yeah. You know, the the way in which it creates myths, the way in what what the overriding concerns and um, commitments of that culture are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're not saying that um, every belief is a myth or that every myth is, is wrong. Yeah. We're simply suggesting that when you can begin to recognize that you're making certain assumptions, yeah. uh, that that's worth noting. Yeah. Not necessarily yeah. true. However, it, at the same time, it's something to question. Yeah. Especially uh, when we're thinking, wow, I don't know, I'm looking back and the pattern's not feeling so good anymore, right? When things aren't necessarily fulfilling or satisfying. When we get back, we're going to talk more with the Blooms about Happily Ever After and uh, 39 other myths about love right here on Marian Live. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Keep breathing in and out. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've, We've ordered, ordered No More, more love, love Life Drama, drama for, for Us. Hi, everybody. I'm relationship expert and radio talk show host Marianne Camarado. And I'm David Raynaud. We want to talk to you for a minute about the changing world of dating and relationships and how self-inquiry can help. I mean, did you know that 44% of the U.S. population is single and over 50% end in divorce? Yet, we spend an average of one-third of our lives trying to find a great relationship or get help with the ones we already have. Yep, that's exactly why we created the first ever of its kind, the Great Relationships Begin Within Self-Inquiry Divination Deck, because we know what it takes to attract and create a healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationship. And it's really simple. Sit quietly, close your eyes, turn your attention inward, and draw a card. You can go online right now and get a free reading on Marianne Live and try out the cards. And for under $20, what better way to give yourself a gift of your own attention? We wish you every blessing. We'll see you next time. Check out MarianneLive.com. Okay, so you have a couple of days off, and you're planning to get away from stress. You may be planning to go across the world or even taking a staycation around town. Well, Hotels.com can get you a room in over 158,000 hotels, 60 countries, for 50% off. That's reducing stress already. Plus, collect 10 nights, and you'll get one night free. 
And there's no cancellation charges, no change fees. For the best deals, even last-minute deals, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Hotels.com. Music, information, and friends. HealthyLife.net. everybody. We're so glad you're here. We could cover a lot of ground here with these 39 myths about love. Uh, oh, my gosh, happily ever after being one of them. We're with uh, Linda and Charlie Bloom on Marianne Live. Uh, we're so glad that they're here with us, helping us navigate uh, some of these beliefs that are potentially really dangerous. They become pitfalls, places we get stuck. And how do we break out of that? Well, let's talk about some of the other specific myths. Uh, for example, I loved so many of them, actually. Um, one of my favorites, I bookmarked uh, long ways some of my favorites, if you don't mind addressing. Uh, one of them was people don't change. You hear this all the time, you know, in relationships. Let's, let's go there. And there is a kernel of truth. <laughs> there is a kernel of truth that there are certain personality characteristics, you know, they're characterological, and you will have some aspects of yourself that will remain throughout your lifetime. And with that said, there's so much room for learning and for growth and for change. Charlie and I hardly resemble the people that we were when we first met. We've gone through so many incarnations as individuals, and we've gone through so many changes as our relationship has matured and grown. And if people have that belief, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and it gets them off the hook of having to really take a look at themselves and see that they may be contributing in some way to the nature of their relationships, and if they're not thriving, well, oh, my, maybe I need to change something about the way I'm communicating or the way I'm listening or the generosity of spirit that I'm showing up with or the lack thereof. And so this, this belief that people don't change really is a stopper. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And if you're partnered with somebody that has that belief, you can keep hitting the wall with that. And sometimes they're not motivated to go to a workshop or listen to the DVDs or to, you know, go to counseling. And I always say if one partner really has some fire in the belly for the growth, go for it. Mm -hmm. Because if your partner is seeing you transform and they realize that you're changing, they're going to have to change the way in which they dance with you. Maybe they'll get inspired and re-examine their belief, or maybe it'll take you out of the relationship, but you won't be stuck at that place where things get stopped. Mm, I love that. I always say people will either grow or they'll go. That's right. <laughs> it's it simple here. Uh, another one of my favorites, they were sort of lumped together, but for those of folks who are listening who are married or who have been married, uh, that tit-for-tat story, like marriage is a 50-50 proposition, right? Everybody's keeping score. This is such a typical scenario. Let's talk about this myth a little bit. Yeah, that really gets a lot of people into trouble because they start treating their relationship like a business transaction. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with business, but it's a whole different domain, yeah. and it requires a completely different set of uh, behaviors and attitudes than relationship does. I mean, a business has to do with 
making transactions that that are a means to a, another end, uh, greater profitability, or having something happen out of that interaction that in which I am be benefited more than it costs me to get to the benefit. When you start bringing that cost-benefit analysis to the relationship, um, you're really diminishing the possibility of deepening trust and respect in the relationship because that attitude gets communicated to the other person, which just kind of reinforces that whole tendency to keep score, to keep track. And that is really damaging to, to any relationship. What, what we encourage people to do is to look at the ways in which it's possible to bring a level of trust for each other into the relationship that is so strong that it never even occurs to you to have to keep score of who did what when and how much money you took out of the account and how much I can and what we need to do to even the score because there's no score to even. Mm -hmm. And I know for a lot of people that's unrealistic or it's not practical to, to think that way because we're all human. But I think it's because a lot of people just can't even envision having that level of trust mm -hmm. in a relationship. Mm -hmm. and um, or being that vulnerable. Being that vulnerable. Right. Being that willing to disarm yourself yeah. of all of those strategies to yeah. uh, keep track of the other person. Yeah. But imagine if you didn't feel the need to do that. Right. How much freer you would be, how much more open you could be, right. how much more love could be exchanged in that relationship that wasn't taken up by different um, means of controlling each other. Right. One of the things, thank you for that, one of the things, Linda, I was thinking when I was reading the book and you were, you both speak in your voices, you know, you use your name and then you both talk equally throughout the book, which I liked. I liked imagining your sounds and so forth. But one of the things I was thinking of is this this sense of who's coming to relationship, this sort of this predisposed self that believes, like, love is outside myself, love is a, a, a noun, right? This, like, person that's sort of been wired for relationship in that old paradigm and, and really questioning that very self-orientation, even before some of these myths, right? Like, who, even looking under the hood, and you, you sort of talk about this when you're uh, asking folks to think about love, period. And you talk about it in specific terms of love is maybe a verb. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was you, Charlie, but I think it was you, Linda, one of the blurbs in there. Nonetheless, will you speak to that? I think it's a critical point here. Yes, we are both from the school of thought that love is a verb. And, of course, it's a feeling, too. But we define love as an action that shows our devotion to the other person. So if you think of it, you know, in motion, you think of it as an action, then you start to see that you have some responsibility for showing and demonstrate the love that you feel in your heart 
Because if it stays trapped in there, you may feel a lot of love, but if it doesn't translate to the person and they're not deeply nourished deep in their soul by the love that you may feel for them, they're going to feel uh, less loved, less appreciated, they'll thrive less. And so for us to all become really connoisseurs of how to love well, mythology. Yeah. Do you know that we ought to know instinctually how to do it? Yeah. And most people are learning in their families that what they've learned may not be all that loving. Exactly. When we come back right after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between what I call um, the litmus test for a great relationship, which most people think is chemistry, uh, versus uh, love. Uh, just drilling down a little bit deeper here with the Blooms. Linda and Charlie Bloom are joining us. I'm Marianne Live, Happily Ever After. And 39 other myths about love. More when we get back right after these messages. Sit tight. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've ordered, ordered No More Love, love Life drama, drama for Us. Shh, over here. Here's a secret for a virus-free computer. ESET, they've been a pioneer in the antivirus industry for over 25 years. 25 years of innovative, top-rated antivirus protection. ESET's award-winning security solutions provide a safe online experience for over 100 million home and business computer owners. They are so affordable, fast, and simple to use. So be gone, you blue screen of death. ESET's on my computer. If it's not on yours, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ESET now. Did you know that in seven minutes you might save $522 on car insurance? Well, this makes sense. Since 21st Century Insurance's company's website has been rated number one in responsiveness by Keynote. Serving customers since 1958, 21st Century Insurance has a 24-7 online policy and claim service. You can get a quote fast and easy, so get your quote by visiting HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click right on the 21st Century Insurance banner. More exhilarating talk. HealthyLife.net Welcome back, everybody. We're so glad you're here. There's a bazillion questions about relationships, and boy, as relational creatures, we now know, and I say this with tongue-in-cheek, we have evidence based research that says we are relational creatures, so we must be actually, we already knew that. The Blooms knew that. The thing is we need each other, okay? We need each other. We need each other for our mental health, our, our wellness, for our survival, et cetera, et cetera. So it's absolutely worth it to invest in this book or any other skills you can on learning how to be resourced, to do relationship well. And, Linda, before we went to break, you said, you know, most of us think this should be just second nature. 
Well, first of all, we don't learn it in school. Our parents are, were so busy trying to survive that, you know, they weren't necessarily uh, the best role models for intimacy because we had different values in this culture for the last 300 years, uh, and we took relationship for granted, hence the both of you are trying to train us or retrain us, reteach us, reorient us. Uh, but one of the things we left off with which is, you know, I think maybe the, the, the first baby, the first pancake of the happily ever after myth, which is the chemistry is a good indicator of uh, good relationship. I'm thinking maybe not. What do you have to say about that? You, actually, Charlie, you called it uh, infatuation in, in one of the chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it depends upon how you, how you define chemistry. Um, if, if you um, equate it with infatuation, which literally means to go out of one's senses. Uh, in other words, to be in delusion, to be out of it. Um, then uh, that form of chemistry, um, it may be very compelling, but it's very dangerous. Um, particularly when you're in that stage of it in which you believe that you're always going to be in it. Yeah. That's, uh, one of the big mistakes that a lot of people make is they make the decision to get married while they're still in infatuation before they've moved on to a, an awareness that there's more to this person than who I'm seeing. Because who I'm seeing is based on two distortions. One is they're distorting their presentation to me in order to secure uh, a a place in my heart. Natural to do that. It's natural to put our best foot forward when we feel strongly attracted to somebody. The other thing is that I'm also participating in this, not only by doing the same thing with them, but by selectively uh, omitting from my vision of them all those things that are not quite so perfect. (laughs) Crafty. So uh, if that's what we're calling chemistry, and it's enough to get us interested in the person and engaged with them and involved with them. Um, However, it's not necessarily going to answer all the other questions, some of which are more important than do I really love being with this person. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and one of the other myths you have in there, which... Uh, you're going to get a copy of the book. You're not going to put it down because you just can't believe that somebody's finally giving language to some of this that's been floating around that you thought was true, uh, which is what happened when that feeling goes away, you know, the feeling, the one that makes you pop out of yourself. But, you know, frankly, you would die, we know now, if you lived in that uh, hyper-arousal state, you would die. Literally. (laughs) Literally, because you can't do it. You can't eat. You can't sleep. I know one of my friends literally lost 100 pounds. She was, what a bonus of being in love. But, you know, it's like, it's intense what can happen. But then on the other side is we think, oh, if that's love, oh, if I don't feel that way, you just don't do it for me anymore. Oh, adios, I got to go. Let's talk about that because this is so painful. You know, that's that's a myth that a lot of people subscribe to and they lose their relationship when it gets a, a bit flat or with some resentment starts to accumulate and that wild, euphoric, you know, dramatic loving feeling is gone. And you sometimes hear people say, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. 
and they are not feeling that you know that wild euphoric unmistakable uh, chemistry type of feeling and they think that because they've gone into a lull that it's never going to come back that that robust now it won't come back like the delusion part the illusion part but a very deep and mature do you know that you fall in love again and again and again, but with more your feet on the ground, you know, not floating up into the ethers on the pink clouds. But as you stop filling in the blanks with the, you know, the parts of the person that you didn't know originally, that you put your Prince Charming and Princess Charming in there, now you're seeing the beauty that is the person that's real. And you're also seeing their flaws because we're all a mixed bag. But choosing that mature love to love them as is with their imperfections, and they're doing the same for us, that's a mature, grounded kind of love that has a chance to last and can be a very deep love. So when we, we're working with people who say, well, the love and feelings ebbed away, we invite them to just open up their mind and their vision to the possibility that they glimpsed in the beginning the vision of who they could be together. The visionary is very active in that infatuation stage where we're seeing into the future where we bring out the best in each other, where in some ways we're each other's teacher and each other's student, where we're each, other, each other's healer. And this, there's tremendous potential if we don't give up when those rough places come, that we look more deeply. What is it that I'm withholding when people start speaking more truth without the blame and judgment? Sometimes, it, you know, the log jam opens up and things start to flow again, even, even in a more meaningful way. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful response. Uh, brings to mind the, the next question, which is, I wonder why we give up so easy now. It feels like relationships have become disposable. Wipe left. Yeah, I'll just go get another one. And that sounds so cynical. But honest to gosh, I mean, a lot of us feel that way. If I don't do it right, if I don't get it right, if I don't be who you want me to be, or vice versa, I'm just going to try to be this thing that I think I'm supposed to be so you don't ditch me, right? I mean, I know that this is a big question here, but what, what do you think is going on in our culture that we've become disposable as human beings to each other? Yeah, I think... The level at which you're asking that question is really important because it's not so much a personal weakness in a person who doesn't have the grit to hang in there, and that is what it requires when things get difficult, uh, which is not to say, by the way, that um, every relationship, you know, you should hang in there no matter what forever. Yeah. But what we see more often than people who hang in there too long, and we do see that sometimes, what we see more often is people who quit prior to having given it their best shot. And I think that you really do have to look at that not so much as a personal flaw or a personal deficiency, but what is it in the culture, like you're saying, that is predisposing us to, to have these ri ridiculous expectations that, you know, we can get something as valuable as a wonderful relationship without having to pay some dues. Yeah. But where do we get that idea? Yeah. But it's very prevalent in the culture. It is. What do we do? And, and more, more so than, you know, I've certainly seen it in my lifetime, you know. Um, 
but it seems to be something that, that this whole idea that um, if you have to really work really hard for something, it's, it's not worth it. You shouldn't have to. That, that if you love somebody and they love you, then yeah. this should be, uh, you know, a natural thing that should happen. And then something is missing. Maybe we don't love each other. Maybe we're not right for each other uh, because we shouldn't have to work this hard. We hear this from a lot of people. It shouldn't be this hard. Well, it isn't that hard for everybody, but it is that hard. It is pretty hard for most yeah. of us. Yeah, yeah. And when we you know, we're looking we're... at yeah. something very big. Yeah, and you know what? I'm just going to say it out loud. So what if it's hard? Yeah, yeah, good question. I mean, I have to say, so what? It's yeah. the good stuff. Yeah. The good stuff is hard sometimes, and yeah. then the grace is beautiful, but my God, you know, let's just get some chops, build some muscles, people. We need to bring that back. Whoop. <laughs> We're yeah. going to go to break. Yeah, yeah, you have to wait. We'll be back. That might be hard, but you're going to do it. It's okay. <laughs> we'll be right back right after these messages. Don't touch that dial. More with Linda and Charlie Bloom. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've We've ordered ordered No More More Love Life Life Drama Drama for Us. MarianneLive.com is where you can go to keep up to date with what and where relationship expert, author, and radio host Marianne Camarado is appearing next. Besides Marianne's three radio shows weekdays on HealthyLife.net, you can find out details about upcoming or ongoing seminars and workshops. How about information for ordering copies of books or DVDs? That's also available at MarianneLive.com. Find out about core certification, certificate of responsible relationships www.marianlive.com Core Certification Learning Tools to Attract, Build, and Sustain Great Relationships Also sign up for Marianne's newsletter to be informed about upcoming events and possible workshops or speaking engagements in the Northern California area www.marianlive.com What does HealthyLife.net and Amazon.com have in common? Well, they're both available on the Internet. They both give great value. But most important, most of our positive program hosts and guests are accomplished authors. And their books are available from, you got it, Amazon.com. Now it even gets better than that. Because when you're listening on air to a HealthyLife.net host or guest, you can go directly to Amazon.com and you can order your book while you're still listening to your favorite HealthyLife.net program. So when you hear an author you like, go to the homepage of HealthyLife.net and click on Amazon.com. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. All right, everybody, I can hear your, your little iPads clicking away. You're making notes. 
Don't worry, you're going to go get a copy of the book. You're like you're going to get nine copies, www.bloomwork.com. They have written many books. They do workshops. They are here for you to help you attract and create healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationships. This is what they do. The Myth Busters, oh my gosh, that, you know, that's my nickname for them. But Happily Ever After and 39 Other Myths About Love, we've been talking about that this hour. So don't worry, just put your pen down, put your fingers or your thumbs or whatever you're doing there, and just have a listen to this. Because this myth, they both said, has tripped them up in their relationship longer than any other myth, this one right here. Linda, you want to talk about this myth? Yes, the myth of mind reading. <laughs> and I never even stopped to think that I might be misguided with my idea. And for, it was literally years in the beginning of our relationship where I would feel a little sadness. And I'd think, oh, he loves me. It's just too bad that he doesn't love me too much. You know, I love him so much. I wish he would love me, you know, more robustly. And it's just too bad, you know, like some people have all the luck. And that's another myth. But I did not stop to consider that he may love me a great deal, but that he might not be expressing it in the way that I like it expressed. Or it's the correct way. And so I'm so touch, total touchaholic. So I'm always handling him and holding his hands when we walk. And I wouldn't think of going to bed at night without a kiss goodnight. And he wouldn't sometimes kiss me goodnight. And he often didn't take my hand when he walked. And he didn't come and throw his arms around me to hug me. So I thought, well, he, he, he loves me, loves light. You know, he loves me lightly. <laughs> and then it, one day it occurred to me that maybe I hadn't been clear enough, vulnerable enough, to stick my neck out there and that I needed to grow some courage to act, actually ask him. And he was so forthcoming with my request. He didn't get into a control thing and don't tell me what to do. He was grateful that I gave him some cues about when I wasn't feeling loved that I would, you know, mention some ways that I would like. And it was really transformative. It was a big leap forward in the well-being of our relationship because he had plenty of love. He just wasn't thinking about showing it in the way that I needed it to be shown. Beautiful. That's a skill, boy. Wow, a skill that could take years. And coming from two people who have hung in there, who have a great relationship, a model for so many of us, this is an important point here. And it was sort of on the heels of what you were saying earlier, Charlie, as well, that, you know, we think if this isn't easy, this should just be natural. We fall in love, we live happily ever after, you read my mind, and the chemistry just goes forever. Uh, yeah, I've never met anyone like that, and I'm a relationship <laughs> specialist. Good luck with that one. Yeah, good luck with that one. So at some point we have to start taking a look at the truth. So on that, on the heels of that, let's, let's talk a little bit as we come up to the top of the hour real quick about the idea of how important sex is in a relationship, the myth that uh, love and good sex will make your relationship a fair proof. Either well, one of you. We find that the people that we interviewed for our book, Secrets of Great Marriages, they volunteered it. We didn't have to ask. This is really foundational in our relationship. The sexual part of our relationship is a very important aspect. And so we were uh, convinced even before that, but that really cemented the idea that if people aren't really enjoying the sexual part of their relationship, maybe, you know, it's gone 
but by to a certain degree people aren't really giving that much time and attention to it that it really deserves its due. And of course there are other parts of relationships that are extremely important and sometimes if you can work with the communication and the things that are being withheld and the vulnerable requests and so forth, that part of the relationship can start to flourish again. But I think that it, it is such an it's such a profound way to feel loved by your partner that they bring pleasure to your body. And it's such a profound way to be into the spirit of generosity, to know them well enough and to ask, how, how can I most pleasure you? How can I best love you in that way? And that it is a very delicate area where people are easily shamed, easily embarrassed, very private, and needs a lot of trust to have the kind of good communication that allows for the best possible sexual connection. Absolutely, and that's why you both do workshops all around the world. So this is a very big topic, really loaded for a lot of people in our culture, in our hypersexualized, huge expectations, pornographic culture. Right? So we're talking about love, respect, honor, and all that. Okay? So, you know, a uh, lot to unpack there. Not to worry. You can go to bloomwork.com for more information, B-L-O-O-M-W-O-R-K.com. Find out when the latest workshops are. In the meantime, wherever fine books are sold, Happily Ever After and 39 Other Myths About Love is available to you right now. Get a copy. The holidays are coming. They're going to be here around the corner. I start shopping for my holiday presents in July. I seriously do. This is a great one. Get a stack of them. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're up for signing any of your books, but sometimes I like to ask the authors to sign, and you never know. People will sign the books and make them a special gift. Uh, we're coming up to the top of the hour, um, beautiful couple, the Blooms. W what do we want to leave people with here today? Great relationships are possible. You have to work at it. You know, it's not so romantic to think that we need to work at it. But the enormous benefits that come from the effort that's put in is so worthwhile. So to have a big vision, it's great to have high expectations, as long as we've got an intention to match it. Yeah. Well, that's gorgeous. How about you, Mr. Uh, um, I want to underscore what, what Linda just said. And I think that one of the things that, go, to go back to your question earlier, what is it that makes it so hard for so many of us to, to put the time in and the effort and the energy and the commitment that it requires to really create the kind of relationship that we're talking about. And I think that it's really, a, um, as someone just once said, a, a failure of imagination. That it's hard for those of us who haven't directly experienced the, the richness and the, the power of uh, a deeply loving, trusting, respectful relationship. It's hard for us to really recognize what that can mean in your life. I think if people could have a taste of that, even for a moment, and to see what the quality of their life could be if they were able to create this kind of a connection with another human being, I think that they would really find the motivation to do whatever work was needed. I 100% agree with you. As a matter of fact, if you don't mind, 
uh, be saying so. When I was in my early 20s, I interviewed, I went to try to find as many people as I could that had good relationships and actually interviewed them and mm -hmm. watched them and watched how they were together. That's as close as I ever knew I was going to get. Mm -hmm. And that very thing, and I'm experiencing it with you both, I watch you watch each other, I watch you honor each other in your subtle movements, in your language throughout your book. This one thing, we need you. We need role models. We need a place to see, to imagine, yeah. right, so we can imagine our way into something. Even though the cultural norm may not be that, the both of you, just who you are being is enormous for those of us who, who need the role models. So thank you for that. Thank you for thank, the acknowledgement. Thank you for that. Really means a lot. Absolutely, we need it. We need you. Your work is beautiful. By the way, I forgot to ask you. Uh, workshops coming up. I know that they can find them on your website. But anything exciting you want to share? In September, we're going to teach conflict, conflict connection from conflict to connection right here in Santa Cruz, where we live. And at Esalen on Valentine's weekend is love, sex, and intimacy. Oh, nice. <laughs> Who doesn't want to go to Esalen for some love? <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome title as well. All right, and everybody, again, you, all you have to do is go to bloomwork.com for more information. Um, and there you go. Get a copy of the book, get several. And uh, I'd like to thank you both, again, for taking time and care to be with us today. I know you have crazy schedules, um, so we're grateful to have you share your love and expertise with our listeners today. Thank you for you. having Thanks. us. Oh, you bet. You're welcome back anytime. And uh, in the meantime, yeah, people start sending you your books to sign. It's my fault. <laughs> I love to sign. <laughs> good. I'm so glad. Thanks, everybody. God, that felt so good. So good to have Linda and Charlie Bloom with us on Mary Ann Live, authors of 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married, their new book, Happily Ever After, and 39 Other Myths About Love. That's what we talked about today. Join us next week as Stephanie Marengo and Rebecca Gordon talk about your body and the stars. The Zodiac is your wellness guide right here. Uh, and go do something for somebody else. Don't let them know you did it. That's the third part of your practice here at Marian Life. Until then, uh, till we meet again, I wish every blessing. Everybody take good care.